it's interesting. If I sit down with the average sales leader and say, okay, look, we go through this exercise and they hate it, by the way. So we go through this exercise and say, okay, we're going to list your skills. And so they get to about five or six and they're, they're done. Like, okay, I'm done. I'm like, you're not done. You just started. Like, oh, shoot. So we say, look, what about pricing in the marketplace? You know, is that a skill? What do you, what's required then? They go, okay, I get it. So we start going. And if I facilitate it, I'll get them to 60, 70 or 80 skills easy. No problem. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Roger Connors. Roger's a top thought leader on organizational performance, and he's a four times New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. And in this episode, we're going to talk about his latest book, Get a Coach, Be a Coach. So we're talking about coaching, as I just said, but not in the conventional sense, because Roger believes that outdated, old schools or one-on-one professional coaching models uh, make good coaching scarce, expensive, and hard to justify, meaning it works for a few but not for the many, meaning that you know if you're waiting for your employer to coach you to improve performance, you're going to need to adjust your expectations. So what's the answer? Well, Roger and I have a conversation about his new proposed model for coaching called self-directed performance coaching. In essence, you have to take responsibility for finding the coaching that you need at particular moments. So we dive into the five triggers that Roger has identified for triggering you to seek out coaching. We talk about how to find the coach you need and how to make sure you're addressing the most important thing that you need coaching on, that you need to get better on in that moment. So all this and much, much more before we get to Roger, let me ask you a favor. If you're a regular listener to the show, or perhaps this is the first episode you've listened to, and if you haven't had the chance yet to rate and review our program, it'd be doing me a big favor if you could do that right this moment. If you could leave a review for us on iTunes or a rating, wherever you listen to podcasts, I'd certainly appreciate that. So thank you very much. All right, let's jump into it with Roger Connors. Roger, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Good to be with you. Yeah. So um, where have you been hiding from the storm? <laughs> Working from my office a lot. So the, the good news about Zoom is I don't have to fly any, everywhere anymore. I can just Zoom in. That's great. <laughs> well, do you think that's going to be a permanent change for you? Because, yeah, you, you're out meeting clients. You know, I do think there's a pivot here happening and uh, something of a hybrid model is going to occur. But definitely will probably be Zooming more than I ever thought I would. And good or bad? I think there's good to it. I mean, I think the... Uh, uh, the ability to get around quicker, have more uh, impact uh, that that the digital interface offers is great. Uh, I don't think 100% of that is good. I think there's some stuff that only happens when you're face-to-face, and I, I'm looking forward to that returning. Yeah. Well, the thing I sort of find interesting about a lot of the uh, evangelism, if you will, about, hey, we can do everything virtually, is... Yeah, this technology didn't emerge during the pandemic. It's been around for years with Zoom. Uh, adoption was increasing where people are using it more frequently. But if it was such a good idea, why didn't we all do it beforehand? <laughs> that is a good question. And I do think uh, in my industry, organizations are going to be thinking twice about bringing everyone together, the cost, the, the amount of time, energy, effort, resources involved in doing that it's going to happen less frequently. And everyone's wondering, why did we not think about this before? So I think there are some 
positive pivots that are happening and uh, we'll end up with a hybrid model that's probably more effective. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, yeah. Well, I mean, I think companies do a lot of things without, and we're going to talk about this in, <laughs> in the conversation, but they do a lot of things without, yeah, seeing if there's a return on doing it. Right. I mean, what's, what's the value? Like sales kickoff meetings, you know, what's, what's right. the value of getting everybody together to bring in a high price speaker to talk for, you know, people like me actually, and you to, talk for 45 50 minutes which people promptly forget everything they spent or they said um exactly and i think too that you know we we are creatures of habit and we fall into practices we tend to like to annualize whatever we do we do it once it works we think we should do it again and i think becoming more deliberate and conscious about okay what are we doing why are we doing it what's the impact we want to have uh, that's what's happening now. This is causing everyone to be rethinking, you know, is this, is this effective? I think uh, what will emerge, I'm, I'm actually excited because I think what will emerge is a new model of distributed work that uh, will be more effective in the long run and will have better impact. The harder, the harder part of that will be uh, organizations trying to figure out how do we maintain culture in, an, in a distributed work model. But I think, I think that's going to be a positive. Yeah, I, well, curious. Why? Why do you think that's the case? Not not that I don't think it's going to be the case. I mean, just certain realities. I think are are we're going to confront with this. But how do you think that will be a net positive? Well, I think uh, the uh, I, I won't call it work from home, but work from anywhere. Right. Uh, philosophy is uh, going to be a, a differentiated advantage for organizations that offer it because I think this. Millennial generation, particularly, it makes up half the workforce now, three quarters of the workforce in five years, uh, has a preference towards that model. Uh, it's all, it also lends to more self-directed uh, work environment, which, again, that demographic likes. So I think it's, it's a coming of age for this, this new labor force that was going to happen at some point. This just accelerated it. Yeah, I guess the question that raises in my mind is, is yeah, we can have... You know, a large fraction of our workforce say this is what we'd prefer to do doesn't mean they're any good at it <laughs> well i agree and, with that and, and so so that's i guess the open-ended question is or open question for me is is you know i think back and i've had this conversation with other people recently it's like yes we're, we're going to talk about this with with coaching in today's episode but having a conversation with a gentleman yesterday about you know you got to hire for coachability uh, in this virtual environment, I said, okay, that's great. But yeah, I remember opening offices and hiring salespeople overseas and, um, you know, Europe and Asia and so on and putting people and sometimes transferring people from home office over to those offices to, to work. And we spent a lot of time thinking, well, gosh, do they have the you know emotional intelligence? Do they have the resilience? You know, do they have the self-sufficiency yeah, none of it's really directly related to coachability. There's these other factors. And it's like, well, we just sort of whole scale saying, look, just relocate yourself. Sort of without regard to whether people can work in those environments yeah. or even want to. Well, it's interesting. You know, I, I think back to my most effective office hours, quote unquote, mm-hmm. are when I'm on an airplane flying somewhere. You know, I, I used to just, and I'm sure you've done the same thing. You know, you, you save your work for the plane. Sometimes, and, yeah. uh, because you're in an environment where you're not being interrupted, you know, the phone's not constantly ringing. There's not, you know, ad hoc meetings happening all the time. So there is that piece of it that allows people to be more productive. But I do think there's a skill, a new skill 
in a distributed work, remote work model that uh, people are going to have to learn. But they're, they're clearly advantages. And what's the new skill? I think part of the new skill is the ability to stay connected. Well, so number one, one of the skills is to stay focused, right? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of distractions, uh, just like there are in the office. There's a lot of distractions in the home office. Uh, number two, it's the ability to stay connected when you're not in a connected work environment. So I think those two kind of play against each other, but are both important to master. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. Um all right, so it sort of relates to what we're going to talk about today in, in some regards. And I think we'll touch back on some of those themes is, is we're going to be talking about uh, some topics from your latest book, Get a Coach, Be a Coach. And you know, this whole topic of coaching is, is uh, gosh, more and more talk is being <laughs> talked about it. Uh, I think we still have issues, people trying to find what coaching is versus uh, yeah. mentoring. We're going to talk about that. Um, but you sort of stake out sort of at least in the first part of the book and I guess consistent with the second as well, but is that, hey, you stake out the position that companies are just never going to step up to the bar to provide the type of coaching that people need. Thus, we really put the onus on the individual to take the initiative and and uh, do self-directed performance coaching, as you call it. That's right. What what we're seeing today is organizations typically provide the executive coaching, which is kind of the the deep dive with the subject matter expert, uh, multiple sessions, big commitment takes it takes a lot of money, time, energy, and effort to pull that off. And of course, that becomes a constrained resource. They can't do that for everyone. But our our argument is not just that it's they can't do it for everyone. It's not the most effective way to do it for everyone. And uh, when we distinguish and differentiate coaching and mentoring and, and coaching and coaching, uh, there's a difference between executive coaching, which is this deeper subject matter expertise, deep dive, and kind of peer coaching, where it's more bite-sized, on-demand, real-time, and skill-based. It's just the information I need to know now to take the next step. So there's when we talk about coaching, which there are different kinds of coaching, and we would differentiate those two. Well, so here's some of the confusion in in the sales world, and this is you know a sales podcast, and and the confusion is one is is people talk about coaching sort of like yeah it's this desirable thing because you know we're going to help people grow and develop through coaching, help them learn how to sell, uh, but the reality is a lot of coaching is just deal coaching, right? <laughs> you know, right. let's go through your deals and let's decide how we're going to get those, as opposed to how do we help this person achieve at a higher level and perform at a higher level. Uh, so there's sort of that. And then we've got the whole, whole mentoring thing, but I feel like a little bit in the book is cause I think in this context of sales is that, is that we we're letting employers off the hook awfully easy <laughs> because I think that, that yeah, as long as we're structured the way we're currently structured, that yeah, yeah organizations going to be loath to make the investment that they need to scale coaching. But you yourself talk about in the book is that, um, yeah, you quote at least one study with huge returns, average returns in terms of doubling of performance, you know, in a, in a large yeah. fraction of cases. And if that's the case, then the expense of coaching is nothing, right? I mean, even in sales where they, one study shows that, yeah, you know, the effective uplift from coaching or the uplift, average uplift from effective one-on-one coaching is 18% in 
improvement in performance, sorry, that's easy for me to say today, is, is well, hell, if everybody gets 18% improvement, you're foolish not to invest in coaching. The return is, is obvious. And it would be, you know, use the 88%, you know, average 88% experience these near doubling of results. It's like, why are we letting companies off the hook? If that's the, the uplift you get, how yeah, they could pay for it and, and earn a return on it. Exactly. It makes no sense not to. In fact, in fact, the cost of coaching approaches zero on a on a per capita coaching basis, meaning the more we coach each other, the lower we drive our cost per coaching experience. And it almost approaches zero in a peer to peer coaching environment. You know, every every sales leader is implementing something that they're trying to do to to increase the performance of the sales organization. And sometimes it's formal sales training, sometimes it's other initiatives. But without coaching, what happens is that 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 uh, Ebenhaus effect happens, which means <clears throat> within about two days after hearing it, whatever whatever it is, you know, we retain about twelve percent. Yeah. After about thirty days, it's down to two percent. Right. The forgetting curve. Right. The forgetting curve. So so what you have to do when you add coaching to that equation. It, it, it's an accelerator that causes people to really get what they need. And, and here's the other idea behind it. You know, when, when a sales leader is trying to make things happen in their organization, they're focusing on kind of the learning component. Like how do we, how do we get people to, to learn this new skill, do this differently, whatever it might be, kind of focus on the strategic initiative. And then there's the performance part of it, which is out in the field. You know, we're practicing, we're getting it done, which some of that mentoring you talked about happens. But coaching brings those two together. The learning and performance wheels uh, overlap each other. And so we're coaching to perform. And that's an accelerator for any sales organization that's trying to get stuff done. Yeah. And I, I agree. But I, so here's, here's my take on it. Is, and I've been doing this for a really, really long time, uh, managing teams and so on. But we seem to have reached this point where you yeah, haven't fundamentally, despite all the technology that's flowed into business and sales in particular, you know, we have, haven't fundamentally changed how we manage and develop people in the last hundred years. Yeah, you know, if you look at a typical sales organization, you got a VP of sales, you got a director, you got frontline you know, managers, da 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 right. da. But if you look at every other perform, not every other, but if you look at, I use the example, professional sports organizations. You know, these are performance based professions, just like sales. And when you look at the way they've staffed those organizations, they have these increasing use of these very specialized coaches. And, and yeah, as I think, as you certainly well know, is, is performance is not just one thing. It's a combination of attributes, uh, you know, mindset, skills, behaviors, habits. You know, we go down the list. And I find it interesting that these other organizations that are performance-based – have taken a completely different tack on it from business, which is, look, we're going to bring in experts to work with our people in each of these areas, whereas we're going to keep using, in sales, we're just going to keep using, we're assuming that this VP of sales, we promoted him or her, that that person must be this you know, mythical figure that possesses all this knowledge about how to effectively motivate people and you know, mindset, da-da-da-da-da. And they don't have that. So I'm wondering, yeah. Why this gets back to the theme I've talked before about letting companies off the hook too easily is that yeah, I, I certainly buy into the idea of self-directed performance coaching and and advocate that. But I think in addition to that, companies need to just completely rethink 
how they coach performance. Totally agree. In fact, uh, kind of two ideas with that. One is in our, in our research, we found that there's actually three types of coaching engagements that happen between people and organizations. A type, a type one is what I call a pick your brain. It, it happens in 15 minutes or less. Mm-hmm. Type two is get some coaching. It's, it's maybe a lunchtime. It's no more than an hour kind of visit. And a type three is more that deep subject matter expertise dive. Will you be my coach? Multiple kind of engagements. Right. 85% of the coaching that occurs happens in type one and type two. 65% is in type one, meaning it's pick your brain. Sure. So what does that mean? Well, it means what people are after is that bit of information I need to take the next step. Right. You know, it's not, it's not this deeper dive, which needs to occur 13% of the time it happens. Sure. But it's this, this quick idea. So one, one thing we teach organizations is we use what we call our skill index, and it goes from zero to 10. That's the name of our company, zero to 10. And it's, you know, what, what, what's your skill in this area? I'm a six, I'm a five, I'm a 10, whatever it might be. And a 10, of course, is a master. And we invariably, particularly with sales organizations, I'm asking people, okay, we're going to a lot of tells, right? <laughs> you know what? It's funny because we'll say, look, if you're learning how to play golf, what do you want teaching you? And invariably, everyone's going to say, Tiger Woods, you know, I want the master teaching me how to play golf. And actually, the research has shown that recency can be more effective than expertise at helping people take the next step. And mm-hmm. so what we found is that a level up coach rather than a master coach is actually more effective in these bite-sized, pick-your-brain kinds of experiences where people only need to know what, what's needed to take the next step. You know, right. if, I'm, if I'm a two, my, my best coach is going to be a three. It was someone who was just there. They just experienced, they can empathize with where I'm at, the frustrations, how they work through it, who they talk to, versus a 10 who it, it may have been 20 years since the last time they actually experienced what I'm describing. So that level up coach can be really beneficial to organizations. Right. Well, and so one of the, the conflicts that exist in sales these days is that, again, due in part to the fact we have new, more technology in the space and it's creating more data and more requirements for reporting, quite frankly, and managers find themselves pulled in, in lots of different directions to you know, report on the data, analyze data, to so on and so forth. But the thing that suffers is coaching. In my experience and also some informal surveys I've done over the years is that to your point you just made is, is people primarily learn how to sell I sort of this apprenticeship model uh, where yeah they go pick somebody's brain yeah and it's not company provided training and and the like and so I'm thinking well gosh if you know if coaching is such an important aspect of this is you know, I asked the question other than your own experience what's been the biggest influence on your sales development it's always been a coach or you know first frontline manager or so on but in a coach role and company provided training is always at the bottom right it's like okay we spend all this money on sales training every year billions and billions of dollars mostly focused on the individual why don't we just take all that money and teach people how to coach well, and the resources there, you know, we are, it's interesting when I, if I sit down with the average sales leader and say, okay, look, I, and that we, we go through this exercise and, and they hate it, by the way. So we go through <laughs> this exercise and I say, okay, list, we're going to list your skills. And so they get to about five or six and they're, they're done. Like, okay, I'm done. I'm like, you're not done. You just started. I'm like, oh, shoot. And so we say, what, look, what, what about pricing in the marketplace? You know, is that a skill? What do you, what's required there? And they go, okay, I get it. So we start going, and if I facilitate it, I'll get them to 60, 70, or 80 skills easy. No, no problem. 
Mm-hmm. And so then what we do is we say, okay, now let's talk about what we call your coach ready skills. And a coach ready skill is a skill where I'm both willing and able, meaning I'm, I'm, I'm sufficiently competent. And most people feel like they need to be a five on a scale from zero to 10 to coach someone else. So if I'm about a five or more on that skill. And secondly, I'm interested, like I, that subject's interesting to me. I'd like to coach someone on it. I could get into that. So what we find is the average person has 10 coach ready skills. We call it the 10 X rule that they can coach someone on. So let's say you have a sales organization of 300 people and they can each coach on 10 different things. That's 3000 coaches you have in your organization. They're all around you. They're your peers. And I, when I say peers, I mean, uh, multi-directional, non-hierarchical, meaning right, right. You know, the leader can coach someone, you know, as frontline salesperson. It, it, it doesn't matter. But that that idea that we have 3,000 coaches, and the question is, are we putting that to work so that real time, as people need help getting stuff done, they can they can get that help? Yeah, well, I, it's interesting because the, the thing that's somewhat problematic about that, and you alluded to it just sort of with your generational talk earlier, is that that... Yeah, like the uh, the Gallup polls, you know, they poll salespeople fairly, survey salespeople fairly frequently. But, yeah, they find the number one reason for turnover, and it's uh, yeah, 55, 60% cited, is lack of development opportunities presented by a manager. Right. You know, they, so they're getting no value from the, the person they work with. and I, And I think they don't see that. A, they're our source of value because they're not receiving any value. And I think it makes that peer coaching things, you know, problematic. I don't think that, I think it happens, you know, because through all of our collaboration tools, Slack and so on, but it's certainly not formalized. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, I think it also, it, it also changes the role of the team leader. So a, a sales leader for their team, you know, I, I, I call it, there's, there's two different kinds of sales team leaders. There's the always on leader. And there's the connector manager leader. The always on leader, what it looks like is someone comes in and says, hey, I've got this problem. And they go into problem solving mode. They immediately start trying to solve the problem, trying to work it through and feel that they have to have all the answers. They feel mm-hmm. it's their job to solve the problem. The connector manager leader, which Gartner's done a lot of research on this, shows that, right. that right. employees of the connector manager leader are three times more likely to be high performing. The idea is a connector manager leader doesn't feel it's their job to solve the problems. They feel it's their job to make sure the problems get solved. And so they're connecting team members with people who have the expertise, knowledge, experience, the level up kind of experience so they can get the answers there. I mean, if, if I, as a, as a sales team leader, I'd rather have someone coming to me rather than saying, here's my problem. What do you think I should do? I'd rather have them coming to me saying, hey, I had this problem. I'm, we're trying to work it through. I've talked to three different people and gotten this coaching. What do you think? And now I am in the position to coach the coaching. Pay attention to that. Do more of that. Gee, don't don't worry about that. So it's a different uh, leadership style when you do engage the peer to peer collaboration. Yeah, I mean it's it's closer in form to the one I'm a huge believer in is is uh, Michael Bungay Stanier's The Coaching Habit, mm-hmm. uh, which is much more about yeah, my job is to teach you how to solve problems. Right. I mean, I can be the connector as well, but part, as part that's part of helping you learn how to solve problems. And I think that's, for me, that's, as a coach, that seems like the most essential 
role in the development of the person, at least in my experience, is that, yeah, yeah, if I can help you learn how to solve these things and think about how to solve and think about, you know, what's really important to you in getting this done, then you're probably ahead of the game and perhaps developing yourself to become a good coach. And, and the value added that it's it's not just getting people to you know be self directed in their learning process re- with regard to that, it's then also realizing they have resources all around them that they can tap into to get coaching on the things that they're challenged with. We we actually have this model called coaching triggers, and it's five mm-hmm. conditions right. that we've discovered that these are the places where people ought to have the instinct to think coach. So if I'm in a sales organization. And I'm doing something for the first time. I'd be I'd be thinking, coach, like where is the learning others have gone through that can help kind of move me forward more quickly? Right. If if I'm stuck with a with a customer, with a client, with a circumstance, I should be thinking, coach. If it's something strategic, if I'm trying to accelerate it, speed it up, or it's a crush goal, you know, I, I want to. I have a stretch goal that I want to attain. These are all the times when you should be thinking, coach, and have the instinct to reach out and get coaching. And by the way, since most of the coaching is only 15 minutes long, then I can have multiple coaches for something. I can reach out and get three different people coaching me in a very short period of time to get get ideas and experience and transfer knowledge transfer that's needed. Yeah, well, my thought when I was reading that part of the book was, was agreeing 100%, but yeah, it's become more problematic in our current environment, especially if we're going to be more work from anywhere, because so many of those conversations were sort of the, you know, I'm just walking by your cubicle or I'm walking by your desk or, you know, your workspace or whatever. And, you know, the very spontaneous type things that happen, uh, which suddenly become more planned <laughs> by necessity when we're remote. Yeah. And so one way we've solved that is we actually created a digital software product that actually matches people. So you can be anywhere in the world and you list what it is you're trying to, to, to work on. We call it your MIT, your most important thing you need coaching. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and you can list that and hit the button and boom, your coaches, these are the people that return to you that the algorithm says, these are folks who could be your coach, consider reaching out to them. And then you, you manipulate the software to, to reach out. So you need some way in a distributed work model uh, to take the place of those after meeting, before meeting, water cooler, in the hallway kinds of conversations. The, the, the digital approach is one way to do that. Yeah. Well, one of the things, I mean, again, I'm a huge believer in the self-directed uh, performance coaching and, and self-directed learning. But quite honestly, we have sort of a problem with that in sales is that not enough people take advantage of these, you know, especially in today's world where there's so many resources available to help you do that, increasing numbers just in the last year in response to what's what's going on. And part of that is is an interest to hear what you're seeing companies do in this regard is that part is, yeah, companies aren't subsidizing it. You know, there's this expectation that you need to invest in your own success. And it's like, yeah, but maybe what are you stepping up to do, company? And are you seeing, so I, I sort of this, I, I think companies should provide stipends to, to people to take advantage of you know, online courses and other things that are being provided by resources outside the company. Are you seeing that anywhere? I think so. I think we're seeing that more, but you know, it, it's not a great learning model to 
just throw a ton of resources at someone and say, here are the 150 things you can refer to. Oh, I know. You gotta you gotta scan left, it, right? you gotta you gotta vet it and so on, right? But assuming that the managers and team go through the work in vetting, you know, here's the here's the range of things you can use and there's gonna yeah, be accountability yeah. built into and so on. I am sorry, I should have made it clear, but yeah, you just can't do it open loop. But Well, so my, my comment was and, and no, I totally agree with that. And I do think organizations need to uh, foster a culture and environment where they're supporting this notion of being self-directed in the learning process. But the, the key thing is having, when, you, when you're reaching out to get coaching, it helps you figure out what do I need to focus on and which of those resources should I tap into? Uh, it's interesting. We, we, when we watch people, uh, we, when we started kind of our content creation part of this, this business, we did about 15 focus groups over about a year and a half. Mm. And we watched people engage their coach. We said, just go ask your coach for help. And it was crazy how ineffective that was. I mean, people <laughs> were wandering. They were unclear. The coach had to ask 100 questions so they could figure out what's going on. So we created this model called the ABCs of coaching. And it's real simple. So what people do is when, they, when they're engaging their coach, and, and you'll see why I'm sharing this in just a second, they engage your coach to say, here's my MIT that I'm working on. You know, I, I'm most important to, things. That's right. Here's my most important thing I need coaching on is breaking into this new market uh, in pitching customers, right? So whatever it might be. I was going to ask you a question about your MITs, though, first. Your yeah, most please. important things. Because you don't address it specifically in the book, but it, it's I think a lot of people, as you said, most people don't understand what their most important things are. So they really need coaching to understand what are the most important things that they need coaching on. Yeah, I think there's truth to that. I think, you know, where, where, we, where, where we think we help with that is this coaching triggers model. So, right. you know, you're doing something for the first time, stuck, strategic, accelerator, crush it. You need a coach. Like that's by definition, if you're doing that, you need a coach. We actually talked to one high-performing team in an organization, about 40,000 people. There were 20 people on the team, 18 responded. And we asked them, how often are you meeting one of these five conditions? Believe it or not, uh, the, the numbers were something like 23. They, they were stuck on 23 things cumulatively. There were 30 things they were doing for the first time, 37 they wanted to accelerate. In all, in those five conditions, there were 170 coaching conditions that that team had in their normal workflow uh, as they're working through it. So the problem isn't, do I have enough things to, as you're, as you're implying, I think, are there enough things to need coaching on? The problem is, how no. do I identify which things? That's what, I was, that's what I was talking about. Yeah. How, are, how do you identify things? Because, yeah, first of all, these things should align. And you talk about this in your book. These things, these more, your most important things should align with the organization's goals. Exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, I understand the triggers part, but I think these overlie the trigger. It's like, okay, what are these f- two, three, four things that are that are my most important things that I absolutely need to uh, learn, master, become proficient in whatever over the next X period of time. And that's, so when, when we talked earlier about a connector manager leader, um, there's four roles that they play in our thinking that's to ignite, coach, connect, and lead. And the coach role that they play is to coach MITs, exactly what you're talking about. Making sure that, you know, we're focused on MITs, most important things, that really do give us traction, move us forward, and, and make a difference. I think as people sort of think about, okay, how do I identify the things that are my most important things? Is I think it's really sort of like a sort of classic gap analysis that that salespeople yep. should be doing all the time with their prospects, which is 
where am I now? Where do I want to be in X period of time? And what are the challenges that are preventing me from getting where I want to be to from where I am to where I want to be? And then, then we say run that. If you, you identify several of those, the average person has 13 coaching triggers. So we say run those through the urgency filter. Where mm-hmm. are the looming deadlines? Where is there the high visibility in the organization, high, high collaboration needs? Uh, those are some of the things that help you, as well as urgency, kind of break those down. And we, we usually say don't have more than two. You should have two things that emerge as what we call your most important things you need to get coaching around. And, and you go pick those off. Yeah, I'd sort of think about that in the context of like that, uh, what the Eisenhower grid they call it, or quadrants, mm-hmm. with the urgent versus important. Right. Um, sort of fits in that almost. Yeah, for sure. And then and then when you do go engage your coach, I was I was saying that we we've we've seen that process be fairly ineffective. We call it informing the ask. Yeah. And so what we suggest people do is we, we, we created this thing called the ABCs of coaching. You know, I say, here's what I'm working on. I'm a two on a scale from zero to 10. I want to be a five by the end of September. I've read a book called Pitching New Customers. That's where I'm at. So immediately a coach in 30 seconds can either say I'm not the right coach, like, or here's someone else that could coach you, or let me ask a couple more qualifying questions, or just begin coaching. But it kind of cleans up that experience of why that's important is if you're trying to create a coaching culture in your sales organization, which, by the way, we think is the right way to do it. The focus is not just on coaching. It's creating a coaching culture where people are willing to do two things. Number one, they're willing to raise their hand when they need help. And number two, people are willing to respond and offer help when asked. And if a sales leader is really clear that's the culture they want. They have to send the message, the signals, and the experiences that cause people to believe that, that, hey, you know, doing something the first time I raise my hand, it's not going to be seen as I'm giving up, but that's that's what we want to have in the organization is that kind of behavior. That becomes really important. Then you create a coaching culture where people are having these quick exchanges that are clean, efficient, positive, and, and because of that, we want them to be repeatable. Yeah, and I... I love that idea. So I get hung up on a couple things, not necessarily related to your book, but but back to sort of the beginning part of our conversation is is I think we sort of agree that you know, managers shouldn't necessarily be coaches or be the only coach. Um, yeah, I, I uh, you ever watch the show Billions? Yes. Okay, so I think every sales organization of any size should have a Wendy. Mm-hmm. A specialized coach, you know, you're talking about a performance-based organization, Yeah, is the return probably very clear. Again, small startups can't do this, but I mean, as I said, uh, any organization with any size, sales organization, I don't know, 100, 200 sellers, whatever, is why not start bringing on people to do the specialized coaching that address specific issues that, you know, the self-directed stuff just won't be able to address. There's a place for that, for sure. We call that type three coaching, and uh, that's the right model. Though the, the, the most effective model is you have a foundation of a coaching culture where it's peer-to-peer, multi-directional, non-hierarchical. That's 80% of your coaching. That's layered by a layer of executive coaching, the kind of coaching you're talking about, specialized subject matter experts that put in another 10%. And then layered on top of that is another 10% of mentoring, true mentoring, real mentoring, it's mm-hmm. happening. And that combination in our mind is the, the best way to get traction in creating a learning performance model. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a good way to, to say it, a learning performance model. 
and I, yeah, I, I call it a learning culture, but um, yeah, self-directed companies, unfortunately just aren't capable these days of thinking about you know, how to, how to structure that in that context, I think, but in a, the model you describe, yeah, provide some, some hope. Yeah. And we're finding that uh, people are highly responsive to this. They're, everyone's kind of getting it that look, creating a, a collaboration model today in a distributed work environment, particularly where we have remote working, but uh, in a, in that kind of a, a, a business model, business setting, we've got to find ways to connect people meaningfully that contributes to kind of getting things done. And uh, so we're, we're, we're finding that this is not a hard sell, uh, particularly when people realize that the assets they already have can just be utilized more effectively. The, the knowledge, the experience, the talent that people have, deploying that more, more consciously, more deliberately, more efficiently uh, can really enhance results. And in a sales organization, no question about it. There's what, what the best, the best knowledge comes from the people who just did it. That level up coaching concept is absolutely critical in that environment. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely, I mean, I'm not skeptical of that. I, I think about my own experiences and the experience of people I've worked with is, is there's always some learning by osmosis from peers. Um, but there's also, you know, some people have done some surveys, um, let's say about presentation skills in sales. And, and the thing that was in sort of the conclusion I drew from this report that was, yeah, surveyed, I don't know, fewer than a thousand salespeople, but still pretty significant was the general attitude was, yeah, from each of the responses was like, yeah, your your presentations are boring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and mine are okay. And right. it's like, okay, well, that doesn't really lend itself to sort of pure coaching if you think everybody else's stuff sucks. Yeah. So I think that's just an interesting dynamic that plays in there is you know, people you know, when peers are coaching, when they don't know how to coach, is you, you get opinions and advice. And I think that, that there's a limit to how helpful some of that becomes. I think learning from your peers by watching them in action is a much more effective way to to do it. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. In fact, I think peer coaching has been largely a big fail in in many organizations because of those dynamics. And so is it is it the fact that peers can't coach or is it the fact that we're going about it the wrong way? You know, our view on it is when we like to say in our organization, we don't certify coaches, we certify learners on mm-hmm. how to get the coaching they need. Right. And so we, uh, some of the curriculum, the things we talk about our training helps to teach uh, learners. We not coaches. We don't like that word, but learners. Right. learners. I like that. Uh, helps empower them to get what they need when they need it. And uh, by the way, that's also, you know, like with the software, for example, we're able to differentiate learners. There's reviews on learners. You can verify skills. I mean, so now when you start optimizing on peer coaches, you start saying, okay, are there differences between peer coaches? Are some better than others? It's different topics. And all of a sudden now the software can start differentiating, you know, what's good, what's not, not as good. Mm. And that helps to make that peer coaching experience more efficient, more successful. Very interesting. All right. Well, Roger, thank you so much for joining us. We've run out of time here today, but um, how can people connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? 
So please feel free to go to zero to ten.com. It's Z E R O T O T E N.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, Roger Connors, be happy to connect with you there as well. All right, Roger. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. Ever so grateful for your support of this show. And I want to thank my guest, Roger Connors, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement, with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd certainly appreciate that. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>